0: The following sermon was delivered by Senior Pastor Rev. Dr. Scott Black Johnston in the Sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here is Rev. Dr. Scott Black Johnston. Listen now for God's word to you as it echoes from Genesis, chapter one, beginning with verse one. First, this. God created the heavens and earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. Our second reading comes from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 7. Life, lovely while it lasts, is soon over. Life as we know it, precious and beautiful, ends. The body is put back in the same ground it came from. The spirit returns to God, who first breathed it. And finally, from the Gospel of John, a very famous passage, you've heard it. John 3, beginning with the first verse. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God weren't in on it. (laughs) Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, It's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. So let me say it again, unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a a body you can look at and touch, but the person who takes shape within, is formed by something you cannot see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from and where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above, by the wind of God, the Spirit of God. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the beginning, says Genesis, God tied on an apron, stuck a spoon in the primordial soup, and began to stir. In the original Hebrew, Genesis says that God cooked up everything seen and unseen. And as creation emerged from the chaos, God's spirit hovered over the tohu vavohu. Tohu vavohu. It's one of my favorite Hebrew phrases. It's an evocative couplet that, depending on who you ask, means chaos and emptiness, darkness and desert, a a bottomless deep. Will you say it with me, tohu vavohu? Tohu vavohu. It rolls off your tongue in a kind of a fun way, tohu vavohu. Years ago, while talking to my friend Dolly, a Presbyterian pastor in North Carolina, I asked, how's life? Oh, she groaned, tovu vavohu. (laughs) I didn't need a Hebrew dictionary, I knew what she meant. I'm in a rough and chaotic place. Although Dolly didn't offer this description with despair, there was hope in her voice. Tovu vavohu is a rough place, but it's also the place where God goes to work. And this, my friends, is where scripture starts. According to Genesis, everything was tovu vavohu. And over the tovu vavohu, flapping on strong wings, we spy God's spirit. Have you seen The spectacular images coming from the Webb Space Telescope. The Webb is capable of peering farther into space and consequently further back in time than any previous telescope. The Webb pulls images billions of years old from the most distant corners of the universe. Scientists say that some of the the highly colored, spectacular nebula pictured by the web are stellar nurseries. In these massive swirling clouds of dust and light, stars are being born. Orders emerging from this chaos. Light and the possibility of life are coming into being. Reading Genesis 1, I picture these stellar nurseries. In the beginning, all was tovu, vavohu, and then, says Genesis, a hawk comes winging over the dark and turbulent sea. God's spirit gets busy. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. Will you say that one with me? Ruach. Ruach that's really good. Now, will you do one more thing? I'd like you to hold your hand up in front of your mouth, get it close to your lips, and say it again. Ruach. Did you feel the puff of your own breath on your fingers? I want you to remember that feeling. Ruach. The Hebrew word ruach is most commonly translated into English as breath or wind or spirit. Ruach is an invisible force, a power that we cannot see. Ruach moves the branches of the trees. It it ripples the still waters. Ruach stirs the cosmic clouds. Ruach, the ancients would say, Ruach is the breath of God. And and what's more, they believed that human beings and really all breathing creatures were alive because they were constantly inhaling and exhaling the breath of God. Genesis tells the story like this. When God created the heavens and the earth, when God began pulling light and life from the tohu, vavohu, God's ruach was there. The ruach hovered over the chaos, a a partner, a a force, a holy energy ready to hand. What does this energy do? Well, you may remember that, that later in the creation story, God reaches for a handful of clay, the the same substance used to make the stars and the planets, and this time God shapes the cosmic dust into creatures. According to Genesis God breathed life into this mud. God puffed ruach into the first humans, filling them with spirit gifting them with life. The ancients believed that that without this spark, without God's spirit filling our lungs, we would not be alive. And they observed, as we saw in today's passage from Ecclesiastes, that, that when we die, when our breath stops, we revert again to dust. The book of Job actually applies this wisdom to all of creation. God's creative essence. If if God were to cease exhaling ruach, says Job, all beings would return to the dust from which they came. This, my friends, is the testimony of our ancestors. The Spirit of God hovers over creation. God's creative essence flies above the chaos. It animates the universe. It fills the abyss with light and our lungs with wind. God's Spirit made us. And God's Spirit lives within us. Is that clear? (laughs) Or does all this seem a bit fuzzy to you? (laughs) I mean, what, preacher, come on, what is the spirit? Is it a bird, the wind, the force that animates life? Is it the energy pulsing through the cosmos? Is it the air filling my chest, the breath of God? The many overlapping layers of meaning in our tradition may make this all feel sort of unsettling. This critically important word, spirit, may feel too pliable, too wobbly. And, and here, a disclaimer may be in order. I have a feeling that the sermons in this series may frustrate those who are yearning for clergy to supply concise, one-sentence, dictionary-ready definitions for words like spirit. Now, why, why will we not fill this seemingly Reasonable request. Well, first of all, because the work of Lent, the reflection that needs to happen in this season of spiritual renewal, does not and should not happen exclusively in the pulpit. It really is up to you to engage these words, to adopt these words to play with these words, to pray with these words. And, And as such, the sermons this Lent, and all sermons really, are but an invitation for you to look at your life and to describe your world using faith's vocabulary. On this count, the overlapping layers of meaning that we were talking about, the pliability of these words, actually helps us. The best words in scripture, the most important words in our faith, are wild things, unwilling to submit to easy definition. They are vessels overflowing with meaning. They are poetry. Poetic words, as you know, Ben stretch and they bend and stretch us along the way poetry will get under your skin it will mark you like a tattoo are faith's words really like that (laughs) do they mark you will they change you well consider again with me Ruach. In the ancient world, people translated the Hebrew word Ruach into Greek as pneuma, and into Latin as Spiritus. These words also mean breath. Normal breath. God's breath. The divine force animating all life. All of the above, something different. Good questions, tricky ones. Why tricky? Well, largely because of the way we treat words. Humans play with words. We we string them together in infinitely fascinating ways. And and over time, across cultural and geographical divides, the meanings of words shift in subtle and not-so-subtle ways. Along the way, we actually make up new words. We break existing words apart and then reassemble the pieces in in fresh manners. Look again at our word for today, spirit. Spirit's grandmother, as I said earlier in, in the ancient Latin, was the word spiritus, a term that means breath. The root of spiritus, S-P-I-R, spear, appears in scores of English words. It lies at the heart of our word respirate. Right, Tony? To breathe. Spear forms the core of inspire, a great idea that is breathed into you. It's also present in conspire, people breathing together while pursuing a common goal. And of course, it can be found in expire, the moment when we breathe no more, when the spirit has left the body. All these words lean on, are rooted in spiritus, but does that tell us anything? I mean, what tribute does a word owe to, to its root? Should a word like respirate conjure up ancient stories? Does it invite us to picture God animating creation with a breath? Or do modern words like respirate free us, free us from those ancient religious mutterings? You might put the question like this. Is breath a purely scientific phenomenon? Or is there still something magical about it? Something spiritual? Ruach. To what do our words point? This question is perfectly suited to today's gospel text, John 3. In this famous story, Nicodemus, a religious man, a sort of hopeful skeptic, comes to check Jesus out. And and, and at first, Nicodemus flatters Jesus. We know you come from God. Nicodemus means this as a sincere compliment, which is to say he means it uh, metaphorically. You're clearly the real deal, Jesus. You talk the talk. You walk the walk. You've earned your union card. You deserve to be called rabbi. You come from God. Jesus smiles and responds. You're being polite, good sir. (laughs) Now, why don't we set base flattery aside? Did you really stop by in the middle of the night? to scratch at the surface of things? Or are you searching for something deeper? Do you really want to know what it means to come from God? If so, if that's what you're after, If you want to plumb the depths of the words that you toss around with such casual ease, then you're going to need to be born from above. At this, Nicodemus scoffs. He rolls his eyes. Call me disappointed, Jesus. Rumors on the street had you pegged as some sort of savant, a teacher of teachers. But already I have doubts. Do you serve up such awkward turns of phrase, such bad metaphors all the time? I mean, I hate to burst your bubble, but Rabbi, everybody knows that being born is a one-time thing. Is it? Jesus asks. Are you sure about that? Listen, Nicodemus. Our Lord continues, you are clearly a person of faith. And as such, you must remember the old stories, the really old ones. I'm talking about Genesis. I'm talking about the spirit of God hovering over the Tohu Vavohu. I'm talking about the creative power of heaven, Ruach, the divine wind, the energy that fills the world and each of us with life. I'm talking Nicodemus about the breath of God, the breath that created all that is the same breath that is swelling your lungs. Does it surprise you really, Nicodemus, when I say you need to be born of the Spirit? Look around you. Generally speaking, people are way more in touch with the mud from which they were made than the wind of God whistling through their nostrils. Don't you, a person of faith, want to, need to, pay more attention to the Ruach? From the moment you walk through that door over there, I could smell the the tohu, vavohu all over you. And, And here's the good news, Nicodemus. The wind of God, it still shapes people's chaos and emptiness into life and light. I think you want to be born of the Spirit, born from above. I think you worry about the cost, but more than anything, I think you want to know whether when you knocked on my door in the middle of the night, you were telling the truth. I think you want to know, don't you, what it really means to come from God. What's going on here? Has Jesus just served the Pharisee a word salad? (laughs) Spirit, wind, born from above, born a second time, come from God. These phrases spin Nicodemus around. They work on him. He's not the same after this conversation. Truly, he is not the same. If you read on in the good book, if you you flip just four chapters ahead, Nicodemus shows up again in chapter 7, and and this time in the light of day, Nicodemus risks his reputation, risks his own skin, by defending Jesus against those who want to arrest him. And, And that's not the last that we see of old Nick. According to... The gospel, after Christ is removed from the cross, it's Nicodemus who embalms the body of Jesus in precious spices. Surely, surely at that moment, Nick must be contemplating. He, He must be living. He must be experiencing the words Jesus said to him on that dark night. The wind... Blows where it will. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's going next. And that's the way it is with everyone who is born of God. This, my friends, is the testimony of our faith. Wherever there is tohu vavohu, there is also spirit. The Spirit of God, Ruach, hovering, waiting to breathe life, to create change, to give us new birth. How weird and wild and wonderful is that? In speaking the benediction today, in blessing you on your way this Lent, I would like to read a poem by Mary Oliver that is entitled, The Spirit Likes to Dress Up. The Spirit likes to dress up like this, 10 fingers, 10 toes, shoulders, all the rest at night in the black branches, in the morning in the blue branches of the world. It could float, of course, but would rather plumb rough matter. Airy and shapeless thing it needs The metaphor of the body, lime and appetite, the oceanic fluids, it needs the body's world, instinct and imagination and the dark hug of time, sweetness and tangibility to be understood, to be more than pure light that burns where no one is, so it enters us in the morning, shines from brute comfort like a stitch of lightning, and at night lights up the deep and wondrous drownings of the body like a star. Bless you, good people, creatures of dust and spirit, children of the one who birthed the stars. Go forth from here and observe a holy Lent. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.